Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Ben. And I'm Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to us today. How are you doing, Sarah? I am doing all right. It's been a very lovely weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, some good thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything's going well. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah. Yeah. Had a very good weekend. We've watched some cool movies over the last couple days. Um, I'm still buzzing having seen RRR on Netflix. Yes. Um, Rise, Roar, Revolt. Yes. Really, really fun movie. And then we watched Barbarella. Yes. With some friends last night, which we'd already seen, but you know... (laughs) Very different sort of movie. Very different sort of movie. Yeah. We also watched Fear Street 1994 uh, on Netflix, which uh, was fun. Yeah, not good, but very fun. Yeah. Looking forward to checking out the other two parts of that trilogy. Um, But watching Fear Street 1994 was really interesting because these like horror nostalgia movies don't typically go for the 90s they tend to go for the 80s a lot so finally seeing like the decade when i was a kid like made into nostalgia was interesting but yeah could have been better um well i guess that transitions nicely into this movie with the hope that maybe it's better uh what are we watching tonight well i'm pretty sure tonight we're not going to see someone's head get pushed through a bread slicing machine but you never know tonight we are watching corridors of blood from 1958 directed by robert day that blood has to come from somewhere to get to those corridors fair fair so back in episode 236 uh we covered the haunted strangler a British film produced by John Croydon of Amalgamated Productions and also directed by Robert Day. That film had been one half of a double feature, which they produced for UK distributor Eros Films. Uh, The other half of that double feature was Fiend Without a Face. Oh, yes. Now that is a movie. (laughs) That is a movie, yes. Boris Karloff signed a contract for two pictures with Amalgamated, and he appeared in Haunted Strangler, which is currently standing at number 133 on the list, while um, the Karloffless Fiend Without a Face ranks at number 30. Bit of a stretch there. Yeah, big divide. So Corridors of Blood would be the second in Karloff's two-picture deal with Amalgamated during a period of his life when he was living back in the UK. For this second project, multiple ideas were floated around. Um, At one point, they thought about doing a color remake of Dracula, and then Horror of Dracula came out and kind of, you know, kiboshed that idea. (laughs) Um, They were also thinking about doing an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's The Facts in the Case of monsieur valdemar um the classic horror tale right uh that didn't get off the ground ultimately the producers purchased a script by gene scott rogers about the early days of anesthesia called 
The Doctor from Seven Dials. Now, I don't know much about the early days of anesthesia. I have to imagine it was a pretty wild and revolutionary time for medicine to be able to go from like cutting someone's leg off, you know, and they scream and pass out from the pain and it's extremely awful to like, yeah, we just put you under, man. It's fine. Why don't you tell me more about it? Well, I think it would be easy to say that since the human race started feeling pain, they started looking for solutions to alleviate that pain. Fair. Um, the earliest attempts at managing pain during surgery come in like medieval times and earlier, like okay. way earlier. And those methods were done with like a mix of like alcohol, wolfsbane, mandrake root, and our favorite friend, opium. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So these were all mixed up in some different quantities, other things mixed in as well. Basically, if it is possibly poison, let's try it. Right. Um, and this was all mixed in into um, a concoction that you would ingest in advance of the procedure. Uh, there are some cases where, you know, you'd put it into a sponge, heat the sponge, and then inhale like the vapor okay. off of it. But for the most part, these are liquids that you are ingesting these are potions well i was trying not to be hocus pocus about it yeah but you know that's what we're talking about here really <laughs> then in 1275 diethyl ether was developed uh, by mixing ethanol and sulfuric acid and this kind of started the gas-based attempts of anesthesia um particularly with nitrous oxide and laughing gas I didn't realize that ether went back to the 13th century. That's wild. There are many things you don't know. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so laughing gas, commonly used and still used in dentistry, uh, is nitrous oxide and was developed and discovered by chemist and physicist Humphrey Derry, who was not a physician in any way shape or form um he coined the term laughing gas and identified the gas's ability to limit pain so i just imagine he like bumped a couple vials together and started <laughs> laughing hysterically and being like oh i don't feel pain right now <laughs> sure now i i will just point out um it's really interesting looking into the history of anesthesia because there's eastern medicine and western medicine sure and they're each kind of like figuring it out simultaneously with some crossover uh of like studies and stuff but um a lot of it is like happening at the same time so it's really tough to be like this person here invented it right sure yeah you have like cases of like convergent evolution yeah mm -hmm. so in eastern medicine some early innovators with anesthesia particularly with hua tuo's mafizin concoction you can call it a potion now he produced this mafizin kind of concoction which is basically like boiled cannabis during the han dynasty in china so like 2580 okay so super early but his writings were lost, so that knowledge was lost. And in Eastern medicine, there weren't really any attempts again at anesthesia until around 1785, 
when Japanese doctor Hanaoka Saishu attempted to create a modern version of Huatuo's Myfizen, um, using a mix of different herbs that he has available. Again, this would be ingested, so it's basically like a potion concoction, and it was used successfully in a mastectomy in 1804. Huh. When it comes to the gas form of anesthesia, that seems to be more of a priority in Western medicine, and this was research largely done by dentists. Sure. So I wanted to call attention to a doctor by the name of Henry Hill Hickman, who was doing experiments in the 1820s with carbon dioxide and animals. Sure. So he was um, basically putting an animal into a room with uh, carbon dioxide, making them pass out, and then amputating a limb, um, and then studying how the animal reacted. Like, did they show signs of distress during the surgery? How were they afterwards? Um, And he wrote a... An essay about this, uh, he called it Suspended Animation, in 1826, but he was laughed at with his results, <laughs> mocked by the scientific community, and he died four years later. Oh, he didn't create a autonomous being made of dead flesh to <laughs> strike back at those who had mocked him? Huh. However, his work built towards studies in the 1830s with ether, and particularly uh, the doctor that I want to um, call attention to is William Edward Clark, who uh, in 1842 was doing a uh, dental extraction and was the first to administer an inhaled anesthetic for surgery. Okay. So in the 1840s, there's a boom in using ether or the um, laughing gas, nitrous oxide, or other related gases for anesthetic use, um, including a chloroform. Okay. So that's in the 1840s. In 1860, coca leaves and cocaine are identified and begin to be used for local anesthetic. Um, so rather than having to put someone under completely, they can kind of numb that particular area. The last piece of anesthetic history, because there is a long history, the last piece that I will kind of call attention to here is, um, so you know when you put someone under and there's a chance that you might go too far and they stop breathing? Um, sure. <laughs> so that was like a big risk, uh, especially because, you know, no one's really figuring out proper doses yet. Mm-hmm. So in 1871, German surgeon Friedrich Trendelenburg conducted the first tracheotomy for anesthesia, where, you know, that's where you cut a hole into the throat so you can, you know, administer the anesthesia that way. And you can also make sure that they keep breathing Hmm. through the surgery. And the reason I'm stopping at 1870 is I know that this film is set in around 18... 40s to 70s, somewhere in there. And that's also why I wanted to highlight Henry Hill Hickman, because he was literally like experimenting with animals and then laughed at. And I am guessing that that is a little bit of what we see in this movie. Yeah, we'll see. I do believe you're on the money with this movie taking place in the 1840s. Um, As I mentioned, it is written by Jean Scott Rogers. Uh, She was born in 1908 in London. And she became involved in the London theatrical scene in the late 1930s. 
She was appointed to the Royal Society of Arts in the 1940s, and from 1947 to 1957, she worked for the Rank Organization before leaving to pursue a freelance writing career, which is where we find her at this time. Later in her life in the 1960s, she led the campaign to create the Theatre Museum in London, which opened in the 1970s and was like the National Museum for Performing Arts in the United Kingdom. Um, And then the Theatre Museum closed in 2007 due to a lack of funds, seven years after her death in 2000 at age 92. Okay. Karloff's co-stars here are a bevy of British character actors. Finlay Curie, was Balthazar in Ben-Hur in 1959. Francis Matthews had been the Baron's assistant in Revenge of Frankenstein earlier this year. And Adrienne Corey would become the victim of Alex DeLarge in A Clockwork Orange. But the most notable co-star here is Christopher Lee in Mm. his first horror role after achieving his breakthrough as Dracula earlier in the year. Does he get lines? Yes, I believe so. Oh, good. Um, I think this is like the only time Christopher Lee and Boris Karloff are in a movie together. I could be mistaken, though. Ultimately, the movie ran afoul of the BBFC, and three shots were removed at their request before the film's release. A leg amputation, Christopher Lee stabbing someone in the back, and a character throwing acid in someone's face. Um, However... Different cuts exist uh, for different countries. Like the U.S. cut has different things cut out of it than the U.K. cut. Um, So there's a variety of different cuts uh, running around. I mean, hopefully they use some anesthetic on the film print before making all these cuts. (laughs) The film was released by Eros in December of 1958 in London. But because of shakeups at MGM at the time... Um, That studio did not release the film in the U.S. until 1962 on a double feature with the Italian import Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitory. Oh, my God. Uh, The film was a commercial flop in the U.S. Yeah, when you pair it with that, like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to the theater to expect with that, you know? For sure. Today, you can find this film on DVD from the Criterion Collection, and it is available to stream on the Criterion channel. And both on the DVD and on the streaming version, there's a special feature to let you see the things that were cut out by the sensors. Like there's a little reel of the cuts, which is kind of cool. Yeah, you don't normally get that. Normally they just stay on the cutting room floor. Mm -hmm, Yeah, stuff was just kind of thrown out back in those days. Yeah. Cool. Well, folks, hopefully you can find a copy to watch along. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude. And when we come back, we will discuss Corridors of Blood from 1958, directed by Robert Day. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just finished watching Corridors of Blood from 1958, directed by Robert Day. First thoughts, Ben? 
There are no corridors of blood. This movie is an exercise in false advertising. (laughs) The original title of the script, The Doctor from Seven Dials, much more accurate. Yes. Uh, Yeah, this movie almost positions itself, especially by the end, uh, as like a medical biopic Mm -hmm. of Dr. Thomas Bolton, who is... uh, So I looked it up after. There was a... Dr. Bolton, but he was born in 1847. He did become a physician, but more for like mental health, not nothing to do with anesthesia. So completely fictional account here. Exactly. Well, why don't you summarize that completely fictional account for us, Sarah? Shocking that a movie would be a fully fictional account, I know, <laughs> but we are set in 1840s London And Dr. Thomas Bolton is a surgeon who hates that surgery leads to pain Um, and seeing the pain that he puts people through, even though this would be like a a life-saving surgery. Uh, His son, Jonathan, is also a surgeon. And we do have a love story subplot between Jonathan and his cousin, Susan. It's Victorian London. They're cousins, Ben. Yep. Now, Thomas Bolton, uh, he also volunteers his time in the Seven Dials neighborhood. Um, And this puts him into contact with the local tavern keeper who goes by Big Ben, who happens to run a racket where um, he'll get uh, some people real junk. And then his friend Resurrection Joe, played by Christopher Lee, goes and kills those guests. And then they sell those bodies to the hospital for medical cadavers. Um, And every so often they need a valid death certificate. So at one point they actually trick Bolton into signing a death certificate so that they can sell a body. And it's kind of implied that they're doing that with other doctors as well. Yeah. um, And this is probably a good time to remind listeners that um, body snatchers who would sell bodies to hospitals were sometimes called resurrection men. Um, because the, another way that this was done was simply by grave robbing. So you were bringing people up out of their graves, so you were resurrecting them. Hence the Resurrection Joe nickname here. Yeah, when Christopher Lee's credit comes up in the beginning, it was just like, and introducing Christopher Lee as Resurrection Joe. And it's just like wild. <laughs> and then the movie does not live up to it. So um, we see that that racket is going on. Meanwhile, um, Bolton continues experimenting with anesthesia on himself to figure out how he can, you know, remove pain from the equation. And he discovers laughing gas one night, um, basically turning him into the Joker for a night. (laughs) Um, But once he has that discovery, he perfects the mixture and he's ready for a demonstration in front of the medical community. Except... On the day that this big demonstration is set to happen, his patient dies from like a stroke before he can like do things. So uh, Bolton goes to like the waiting room, says, you there with the arm, come forward for this experiment. Yeah, rather than just like postponing the demonstration until another patient can be found. Luckily, you know, because he's like, Bolton's pretty hedgy about you know what he's going to do to this guy so ben and i were thinking like he's just going to cut off this guy's arm 
with like no consent or anything, but it was actually just to like look at the abscess and like remove part of the arm to like, remove the abscess that he has in his arm. Yeah, yeah not, not like cut the amputate. Arm off. Yeah. Now this patient does, you know, go unconscious and then awakes as the knife is on him. So this failure of a demonstration leads to Bolton being a laughing stock. So he decides, okay, well, I know that the mixture works because I've tested it several times <laughs> and the dude was asleep before he woke up. So let, how about I strengthen the mixture with opium? Fair. I Sure. Um, so he strengthens it with opium, smokes it, or inhales it, I guess I should say would be more accurate, and uh, gets real high. And in a daze, wanders back to Ben. Um, he saw a previous patient of his there, and he wanted to go and try to help that guy. And Ben's like, no, doctor, that guy's more peaceful now, uh, implying dude's been killed for cadaver usage. But while... Bolton is with Ben. Um, he gets robbed a bit. He gets pickpocketed and his notebook goes missing. Ben uses that notebook to blackmail Bolton for more death certificates. And Bolton gets the notebook back. He's continuing to do these experiments. And it's clear by this point that he has basically a drug addiction leading to poor performance at work. You know, surgeons kind of need steady hands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their wits about them because, yes. you know, opium is a central nervous system depressant. So he's kind of like nodding off during surgery. Yeah, which leads to his suspension. But Bolton needs those drugs. So he goes back to Ben and is like, get me these drugs. And Ben's like, sure, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, fill out these death certificates. We'll fill in the names later. Mm -hmm. which leads to Bolton and Resurrection Joe breaking into the hospital to uh, steal some drugs, and a watchman gets murdered in the process. So Bolton has the drugs, and he's like starting to realize, like, no, my, my son who called me out on having an addiction was totally right. I do have an addiction. Um, and Ben is seeing Bolton as a liability. Uh, so Big Ben turns to Resurrection Joe, and he's like don't think the doctor should be around no more. And Joe's like, I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. But just before Joe can actually deal with the Bolton problem, uh, police break into the tavern because you see, they were hot on Ben's trail with these fake certificates. Um, Thanks to Inspector Donovan. <laughs> he flies off the handle, but he gets results. Mm -hmm. He has good sideburns and a strong <laughs> jaw. As the police are breaking in, Resurrection Joe manages to stab Bolton just as Bolton throws a bottle of vitriol, which is uh, another word for sulfuric acid. That goes into Resurrection Joe's face, and um, that's the last we see of him. Uh, but luckily... Another uh, person turned into one face. <laughs> but Inspector Donovan makes it over to Bolton, who's now like dying on the bed. And he's like, no, bring me my son. Don't take me to the hospital. So Jonathan and Susan as well get brought to the other side of London to this tavern just in time for Bolton to be like, Jonathan, I, I was addicted. I'm sorry. 
but continue my work because I do think that we can do pain-free surgeries. Blah. Cut to Jonathan successfully. Oh, what? You've forgotten the fate of Ben. Well, I didn't forget. I was like, I'm just going to stream on by. Uh, so during the police raid, Big Ben um, heads out a window to climb to the roof to get away. And the gutter breaks and he falls and lands on those spiky fences. Yeah. And that's what happens to him. Would you rather die like that or die with uh, acid to the face? Ooh. Would you rather be Ben or Joe? I think I'd rather be Ben. I mean, both are real bad, Mm -hmm. but I get the feeling that Ben died quicker. Sure. Yeah. There's actually like no sign that Joe died. Right. Exactly. Like, I, I think I would rather have a fall and then stab and die than like the pain of acid in the face and then to have to live the rest of my life in Victorian England with like, you know, looking like one face. Yeah. I mean, technically we all look like one face. We mm. all have one face. Right. Um, this is very true. Uh, Anyways, <laughs> in the epilogue. Tweet at us at underscore scream scene to tell us how you would like the uh how you would like to die. <laughs> how you would like to have your code appropriate comeuppance mm. uh for your bad deeds. Cut to the epilogue where Jonathan has perfected uh a gas anesthetic and is demonstrating it successfully, and the camera pans to um, a little like display case and a plaque saying like Thomas Bolton, anesthesiologist or whatever, these years to these years. Yeah. Yeah. In memory of, and it's like his notebook in a display case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, that's the end. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's start out with some pros, some, some, some praises for this movie, some things that were good. Uh, all right. I think that's fair. I think it shows a fairly good depiction of drug addiction. Sure. I thought that the historical research was well done. While the account is fictional, there's a lot of little details that show that the writer, like, did her research. Things like them spreading sawdust on the floor before the surgery. There's a whole thing where they explain that, like, in the pre-anesthetic days, the key to surgery was quickness because you wanted to just have like one clean slice and get it over with really fast so that there was the minimum of pain and shock to the patient and that's true um and there's like a lot of other little small historical details throughout the film that show that they did like a lot of research and have like some pretty good historical accuracy in the depiction of the period if not in the depiction of like actual events yeah and um I would also say that Christopher Lee is really good in this movie. It's it's not a very big part, um, but he consistently like is like lurking in the shadows and then plenty of shots where he just like walks out of the shadows. So he does a really good job. And kind of to that point as well, the cinematography is pretty yeah, good. Yeah, there's lots of great like edge lighting and shadows Um The movie is well produced, I think. There's lots of extras. Um, So despite the fact that there are really only three main locations in the movie that we just kind of bounce back and forth between, I think it convincingly evokes 
the Victorian time period with mm-hmm. this kind of like stark chiaroscuro cinematography. And, um, you know, Christopher Lee's really good. I think most of the performances are good, like for what they are. Um, I thought that Karloff does a pretty good job with the portrayal of the doctors. Yeah. Descent into addiction. We've talked about this before on the show that Karloff basically has outside of Frankenstein's monster, two personas, friendly old man, Mm -hmm. who's probably also a doctor. Right. And raving lunatic. Right. Yeah. Like, like sadist. Yeah. Right. And this is firmly, friendly old man doctor uh karloff which we've seen many 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 times yes yeah i think he does a really good job especially when his character is like nearing the height of his addiction um and he starts to try to like combat it i did have a lot of like things going on in my head of like i was gonna do surgery but then i got high right like at one point he has like the chairman of the board over for dinner and like before he can like deal with him he goes and takes like a puff yeah yeah and then i also was like this is your brain on drugs this is your brain and this is heroin this is what happens to your brain after snorting heroin this is your family on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's 11 p.m. Do you know where your uncle is? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So just say no. Transitioning from that into cons. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have some specific cons that I do want to address. But I think big one is like that. Frankly, this is just not a horror movie. No, it's very misleading, especially with its title Mm -hmm. the music is trying yeah it's it's patently false advertising to release it as a horror movie the title is wrong the posters which try to make it look out to be a horror movie are are wrong your point about the music is something i wanted to bring up because you were talking about you know when he takes the opium the music and the cinematography and like the overall con that this movie is trying to pull on you that it's a horror movie they shoot the scenes where he takes opium as if it's like a jekyll and hyde transformation sequence like they've got you know close-ups on the bubbling mixture and the music's going like and he's like having dream sequences about people saying significant things in his past and like it's exactly like you're expecting him to turn into a monster and instead he just you know becomes a dope fiend He just gets real tired. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because it's opium. Yeah. um, This is just a period drama. Mm -hmm. Um, It has a very simple premise of like, what if the guy who invented anesthetics got high on his own supply and then fell in with criminals? Except that like, as you said at the top, the weirdest thing about this movie is that it's shot as if it was like a sensationalized but still like biopic of the historical guy who invented anesthetics when it's a completely fictitious guy. Yeah. It's, it's quite an interesting angle to take. Yeah. Like I, I kind of get the idea of like the central premise. Like what if the guy who invented anesthetics got high and fell in with some criminals, but the fact that it does end like on a plaque 
like of like, oh, this guy, Thomas Bolton, like if you don't know your history really well, like you might walk out of this movie being like, huh, I guess that's how anesthetics were invented. (laughs) Um, I do want to point out that Bolton's story in the movie is like kind of pieced together from like a few different real incidents. Um, Like you mentioned Humphrey Davy in the context setting in Britain who discovered laughing gas basically the same way that Bolton does here experimenting on himself and then being like oh shit like I cut myself and it doesn't hurt not even experimenting on himself he just happened to mix them and then have the effects right he wasn't like purposefully trying to discover it yes the wildest thing about Bolton's experiments here compared to what you had said in the context setting is the fact that he's like, I need to figure out the right dose of chemicals that are going to make me numb to pain and or put me unconscious, but not kill me. I'll just test it on myself. Like that he's not testing on animals first, yeah. which you pointed out like historically is what happened and is generally like what you do do when you do these things yeah i mean maybe the writer was like i don't know how they're going to make little gas masks for guinea pigs (laughs) i think it's just that like (laughs) you know there's this thing of like oh well like it makes sense that he becomes an opium addict because he's doing the trials on himself and that leads to the rest of the story and it's like oh well When you find out it's fictitious, it's like, well, yeah, of course it is. Because they didn't do experiments on themselves. They did it on animals. Like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, why didn't this happen in history? Well, because real scientists don't experiment on themselves, generally speaking. (laughs) Um, The thing where he has the patient and he administers nitrous oxide and the patient wakes up during the surgery and the demonstration fails and people laugh at him. That happened to Horace Wells in Boston. And then the like second um, successful operation uh, was with William Thomas Green Morton and John Collins Warren, also in Boston. And <laughs> what's going on in Boston? You um, know? They have like a really good like medical hospital and tradition of like, uh, academic medicine stuff there. But I think it's important to note that like in real life, like you talked about how like dentistry was kind of the big impetus for anesthetics, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing that, uh, our universal healthcare doesn't consider part of our healthcare system. Right. Um, (laughs) so, you know, the guy who, who came up with general anesthesia in Western medicine was a dentist and then from then on the anesthetist and the surgeon were like very firmly different people because it was considered like the getting of the right dose for anesthesia was such a precise science that you had to be focused on that and not be the person focused on doing the surgery and so it's like looking at this movie it's like yeah of course he like got overworked and couldn't like do his job right they kind of show that with Jonathan as well, because Jonathan is just focused on like the breathing apparatus. And then there's other guys doing the surgery. Yeah. You can't be both things. So, you know, I mean, you can, you just can't do them at the same time. Right. <laughs> what? So I know we're on to the cons, 
but I will just say, uh, I did think that the effects with like the knife cutting and the acid and all that were pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they cut out, you know, little bits of, um, explicit gore here and there, but what's in the movie is like, you know, good effects. Um, in terms of cons, other than the fact that this is not a horror movie, there are way too many fucking characters. Yeah, I like there's like multiple named characters at Big Ben's tavern. Yeah. And like it's like important that you know that this is this guy is the lookout so that Inspector Donovan can get his like lieutenant so and so to go and deal with him. Other than the need for every movie to have a breeding couple, the niece and the son basically don't do anything in the story like the son fills the role of like oh and after he died his son did the thing but really the only role they have in the script is to be someone for bolton to talk to yeah in scenes otherwise they don't do anything and then we have two women at the tavern rachel who is like big ben's partner and then Rosa. Uh, Rosa, who like is maybe their daughter, maybe just someone who works there. She's like a hooker with a heart of gold character. And um, she gets threatened by Resurrection Joe and also some of the guests. At yeah, the she, she basically the weirdest thing about Rosa is she doesn't serve a purpose because mm-hmm. she's introduced early on as like a hooker with a heart of gold type who, you know, when the shady dealings are going on. She like pokes her head in and is like, Oh, what's going on in here? And Rachel and big Ben are like, ah, you best mind your own business. Right. And then the next time we see her is when resurrection Joe tries to rape her and big Ben and Rachel come rescue her. Cause like, she's an employee of theirs and they're like, Hey, resurrection Joe, like fuck off. And they then, don't, they pull him off and then say to Rosa, this serves you right for going after Joe. Yes. Yeah. I was, but she I, never did. Yeah. I, I was sort of getting to that, that yeah, they, they save her, but then victim blame her and then that's it. Yeah. Like you expect that there's going to be a third appearance of her in the third act where maybe she's the kind hearted person who like goes to the police and is like, hey, Big Ben and Rachel are doing skeezy things. And then Inspector Donovan's like, ah, this is the evidence I need for the raid. But like that never happens. She just vanishes from the story. Um, So she's a completely extraneous character. At the hospital, there are three different old doctor characters who are in the administration who are antagonists to Bolton to varying degrees. Like there's one guy who's his friend and is on his side, but you know, Bolton, like you've just been pushing too hard. Mm -hmm. And And then then there's another guy who's like the pain and the knife go hand in hand. Yeah, I, (laughs) I, I became a doctor so I could fucking cut into people. That's the whole point is the screaming. And I buy the cadavers from resurrection Joe. And then there's this third guy who's like, I'm the committee chairman i do paperwork and it's like we didn't need three whole characters here we also get uh a few different surgeries including on a little girl Mm -hmm. uh which i didn't go into because it doesn't fucking matter yeah it's there's just a lot of things in this movie that feel like they're just here to pad out the runtime yeah because the thing is it takes way too long for this movie to develop a plot yeah like it has a story a nice little story that you can follow 
about this guy trying to invent anesthesia and getting high on his own supply. But the plot is this causes him to be blackmailed by criminals. He falls in with these criminals who are doing this cadaver scheme. And therefore, like, in order to get his drugs, he has to do these death certificates and he's involved with the criminals. He doesn't really get involved with the criminals until an hour into the hour and a half runtime. I mean, the criminals are set up. Yeah. There's lots of laborious setup, but it really is like as if the central idea of the story, the thing that the movie is about is him falling in with the criminals and it's like, oh, but why would he fall in with the criminals? Oh, well, he got addicted to anesthesia. Well, why did he get addicted? Well, he was experimenting on himself. Well, why was he experimenting on himself? Oh, well, he's the inventor of anesthesia. Okay, let's set all that up. And it takes an hour to set all that up. And then by then we're ready for the movie to end. We're ready for the third act. And, you know, it's it's just, it's a lot of stuff happening, but nothing actually happening. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to put this and describe this movie. Because it, it, there are times where it feels like padding, but this is almost like a step above padding where it's like we're just spinning our wheels. It's like setup that you don't need, right? Yeah, it's, absolutely. It, it's like as if you started watching Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> and the first like two hours of the movie was like showing you like, Dr. Hannibal Lecter in medical school, like getting his degree. They did a whole mo- uh, a whole mini series or whatever about like early Hannibal, didn't they? They, they like, did. Like they yeah, did. They the, did later prequel stuff for sure. But like, if the movie itself, Silence yeah. of the Lambs, had like two hours of him going to medical school, and then the last like half hour was Clarice Starling tracking down buffalo bill like that's what this movie's like well i think the other thing there is hannibal has an agenda Mm. and it's nefarious Mm -hmm. and it's like oh what's he going to do what's he going to get away with whereas bolton's modus operandi is i just want to make sure people don't feel pain right and it's and i want a hit of opium well that comes later right um, and eventually becomes primary to the the goal. But what I mean to say is that like, it's not like he's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to prove them wrong and laugh in their faces and then becomes the Joker or something with no. like, his own laughing gas. Like he, he doesn't have a mad scientist turn. No, he's just a sad old man who gets taken advantage of. So like, I don't know if like the mad scientist thing is what's missing here to turn it horror but it's 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 because it's a medical biopic. Like, yeah, like and I think of a fictional person. This is a right. And this is a good example of how advertising and expectations for a movie color your enjoyment of it. Because if you're told this is a horror movie and you sit down, you spend the movie waiting for the horror to kick in. And you're like, yeah, he's going to turn mad scientist. This is Boris Karloff in a horror movie. And he's gotten laughed at by the establishment. But like him getting laughed at by the establishment doesn't happen until halfway through the movie. Because the movie's not about Boris Karloff, mad scientist. It's about Thomas Bolton, the fictional inventor of anesthesia. 
and you're waiting for the horror to kick in and you're waiting and waiting and then it like finally happens kind of when he gets involved in the criminals at least you're like oh this is the start of something and then the movie ends whereas if this movie had been like advertised as like a weird like like what if this had happened and this is a medical drama like if it had been advertised as a medical drama or a crime drama or something i think it wouldn't feel like it was biding time because all of those early things would just feel like part of the story rather than feeling like the preamble to a story that never really arrives. Yeah. So unfortunately this will be going on the miscellaneous list despite its ballo name, like corridors of blood, like good title. Yeah. It's a good title. Um, Better for the shining. (laughs) Those are elevators of blood. True. If you would like to see the other films on our miscellaneous list, you can go to our website, ScreamScenePodcast.com, and you can find links to all of our episodes there. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking or placement on the miscellaneous list, you can reach us at ScreamScenePodcast at gmail.com. You can contact us through the Ask box on Tumblr, or you can reach out over Twitter at underscore ScreamScene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can support the show by subscribing to our RSS feed, leaving us a rating or a review, sharing the show with your friends on social media, or just telling people about it around the water cooler at work or the Zoom meeting, however your work works these days. If you'd like to show your financial support for what we do here at Scream Scene, we'd really appreciate that. You can head on over to patreon.com slash Podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Patrons at the $5 or $10 level get access to regular bonus content, and patrons at all levels get to vote in our monthly horror-adjacent bonus episode polls. This month, we had a poll between The Hound of the Baskervilles, the Hound of the Baskervilles, The Hound of the Baskervilles, and The Hounds of Baskerville, and our listeners chose The Hound of the Baskervilles. From 1950-something. From 1959, starring Peter Cushing as Sherlock Holmes and um, Christopher Lee as Sir Henry Baskerville. Ah, of the house. Yes. There's also a new gothic retrospective up that is talking about romantic and gothic music. Yeah. So that's kind of neat. If you want to check that out, where can people go, Ben? Well, they'd have to sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash podcast. So what are we watching next week, Ben? Well, Sarah, we have reached a nice milestone, oh. which is we are, at least until someone emails me to say that we've missed something, we are done with 1958. Okay. We have been in 1958 for a while. Yeah. Um, And so, uh, before we launch into 1959, uh, next week we're going to do an appeal episode um, as we have received an appeal with regards to the placement of the Bela Lugosi Dracula on the list. Ooh. So we'll be addressing that appeal next week, Creatures of the Night. Well, we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.